welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with Rebecca Arev about loving yourself as an act of liberation. We talk about presence, finding the sacred in the mundane, and working with the unseen realms. We touch on her path as a Hebrew priestess, as well as queer identity and belonging. Before we begin, I want to share my gratitude for our Patreon subscribers who help make this show possible. I'm so excited to bring you more episodes in 2020 and honored to be in community with all of you. Join us at patreon.com slash moonwise. Okay, on with our show. Rebecca Arev is an ordained Kohanet, which is a Hebrew priestess, feminist, queer artist, intuitive healer, lover, creativity coach, and teacher. She lives on the Salish Sea in Olympia, Washington, the original village of the Stachos people. In her work, she collaborates with unseen and seen beings to make art and ritual with the intention to recover and liberate the earth. She also makes objects like her beautiful Moon Angels card deck. She's offering Moonwise listeners a 25% discount for her new online course called Your Most Treasured Commitment, Loving Yourself, an Act of Liberation, which is available at RebeccaArabStudio.com. Just use the promo code LOVEYOU in all caps at the checkout. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Hi, Dorothy. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. And I found your work through your beautiful Moon Angels card deck, which I came across in an herb shop in Oakland at a time in my life when I was going through a lot and I just saw the beautiful illustration on the cover and it lit something up inside me. So um, I've been following your work ever since. So it's great to get to chat. Oh, thank you. I'd love to start with talking about something that you say about your work, which is that you collaborate with unseen and seen beings to make art and ritual with the intention to recover and liberate the earth. I love that. And I'm curious about your relationship with the unseen world. And I'm wondering if that's something you connected with as a young child, or is that something you cultivated later in life? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I'm glad to be here and be talking with you in here. Um, I'm, I'm coming from, uh, I live in Olympia, Washington now on the Salish Sea. Um, and where I live was a place where the Stachos people or the indigenous people of this area and the Nisqually and Squaxin. And so I just want to take a moment to honor them and um, that they have been stewarding the land here for millennia and um, grateful to, to be here and be talking. And I'm processing some Douglas fir while we're talking on the phone. So my hands are in the trees. Um, and I feel like that's a, that's a good segue to thinking about the unseen beings. I mean, I, I think that I mean lots of things when I say that, um, that, um, I have a sense that an, an ethic that, um, to, to see more of what in our society doesn't get seen. Um, and 
as I mentioned, the people, the indigenous people of this land, that is one one way. I mean, the indigenous people of this area are super alive and um, doing amazing, incredible work here. And um, which, and as we all know, there's been a lot of genocide on Turtle Island. Um, yeah, so that's that's some of what I, I, I think about. Um, uh, and I also th- think about um, how to listen um, and um, you mentioned the childhood um, connection. And I part of me, since I was a kid, has always been someone who really cared about voices that weren't heard in our mainstream world. Um, and I was like always the kid who was like, you know, when somebody would say, call somebody gay or a fag or the N word, I would like interrupt and have a conversation with them. Mostly kids being like, you're weird. Um, but, um, so that's, that's one framing, um, for it. And, um, and then there's also like the, um, tree and plant and mycelium and, uh, all the, all the animals, um, that we don't always see all of them and feel directly, all the work that they're doing to keep us alive and try to collaborate. I mean, they are collaborating with us, but we don't always like pick up on it consciously. Um, yeah. And then like, like kind of the world of our imagination. Um, so, um, I remember ever since I was a kid, I was just talking about this the other day. Um, because I was talking about aliens with some people and, uh, that everything I, I've had this belief. I remember like lecturing my family about it. I'm like, everything you think of exists somewhere. <laughs> and, and I still believe that, that, uh, and it's like in an imaginary way, but also in a literal way that everything anyone thinks about really exists in like a real way in a lot of ways too. I think that's why prayer is so important that how we intend to think really creates the world collectively. Um, so yeah, we're collaborating in that way. And then, I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I also had imaginary friends. Do you have imaginary friends? I did. Yeah. Yeah. What were their names? Well, apparently it was when I was barely verbal, I would set the table just very insistently for someone who at the time I would call Kukakai. But I don't know what their real name was. I think that was my like pre two year old trying to say a name. Mm. And I, I just have to wonder. Yeah. I feel like that's our, you know, kids' selves kids are so directly in touch with other realities, you know, the worlds within this world. 
and yeah, I had imaginary friends too. And I would, I lived on a little one way street. Um, and at the bottom of the street where it crossed the other street, there was like a stop sign and I would hang out there and with my imaginary friends at the end of the block. (laughs) And, um, their names were sail and Charlie, (laughs) like a sailboat sail. Um, awesome name. Yeah. They had like, they had a whole life. Um, they lived in the grass by the bottom of the stop sign. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I, I think I just always, I've always been a dreamer. Um, been very in touch with my dreams and remembered my dreams. Um, and talked about them a lot. So I've always had lots of dreams about things in the world or other worlds and kind of strange things and regular things. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, And so I'm curious how your Jewish faith weaves into that. I know you're ordained as a priestess in a particular tradition, and I'm curious, yeah, how does that influence your work and your perspective on life? Oh, it influences everything. Yeah, Judaism is full of mystical, mythical stuff. Um, and I was ordained through the Kohenet Institute. Kohenet means priestess, um, and Kohen is priest. So you may have heard people whose last name is Cohen. Um, that comes from Kohen, um, one of the tribes of Israel, um, and in biblical times. Uh, and yeah, I, I, when I found this community over, over 10 years ago, um, it's, it's a new, it's kind of a, a new refound movement, um, it, reviving this ancient, these ancient practices of women and genderqueer people, as I like to remember um, it in, in ancient times and bringing it into our world today with, so a lot of what we do is, really work to re-remember in our, um, you know, epigenetically, like through our cells and, um, and through our dreams a lot, because there are just glimmers of things that I've written down. And I mean, rabbinical Judaism is fairly new. Um, it was formed in response in a, I think in a lot of ways to Christianity and like a need to, um, conform in some ways to the dominant, um, religion and, and the Bible, I mean, things were the Torah, things were written down, um, only like through the last half of Judaism, the first half of Judaism, it was an oral tradition. And so, you know, what got written down, what didn't get written down? Well, what got written down was very patriarchal. And so the work of my work as a Kohenet, a lot is to re-remember and of this community I'm part of. And there are other people doing this work who are not a part of this community as well. I want to be really explicit about that too. Um, 
And I think there are probably lots of people I don't even know them or who they are or how they practice um, who keep these things alive and re-remember things that um, are really valuable. Yeah, so... I don't know. I'm a Jew. I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, I grew up in in a very assimilated family. My dad's not Jewish and my mom is, but I'm all about Jews who also have a patriarchal, um, you know, is passed down through their dad too. Um, and I, yeah, I'm like the most Jewish practicing person in my family. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't get raised with a lot of it, um, and I kind of really pursued it even as a child a lot on my own and, like, asked my mom if I could have a bat mitzvah and go to Hebrew school, which is, like, not a thing people do. Um, but, yeah, it was always kind of on this path, this spiritual path, that I always felt other things in the world, and it felt really natural to me um, to be in reverence and, um, to feel something else moving besides like, you know, just the reality we're seeing or participating in day to day, the culture dominates. Um, yeah. And really always just pursuing that path uh, that in those interests, um, and, a lot of that through Judaism and in part because I grew up feeling really like I didn't belong. I grew up in a very Christian town and there weren't hardly any Jews or, um, yeah. And so I think I also pursued it to try to feel like I belonged somewhere and find some people, I mean, they also, I'm also queer. So I, at that time I wasn't like able to articulate or did I know any out queer people? So I wasn't really able to articulate like that, like I need queers in my life, <laughs> but Judaism was something that was like, okay, that's okay to talk about. Like there, th- this is like, we go to my grandparents' house for Rosh Hashanah and Passover. You know, this is like something that's in my life more and, uh, and giving my like interest in, sometimes I like feel hesitant to even use the word spirituality, but I guess that's the best way to our common understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're nodding your head. Do you, have you felt that too? Yeah. Uh, for me, spirituality, it has connotations and meanings that can be different to different people. And to me, the fact that we separate spirituality from life at all is really strange. It's almost like how we also separate art from life. I'm like, why isn't life art? Why isn't life spirituality? Because for me, especially as a mom, as a woman who's very much proud to be like a keeper of the hearth in my home and, and like actually be a homemaker as well as a professional, to me, the everyday, the mundane, the sweeping, the cleaning, the washing, it is sacred. It is my practice of spirituality in most days because I can't always go be with my sisters dancing in the woods or whatever because I have responsibilities as many people do. So yeah, I'm just nodding in <laughs> support. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I I feel that as well. And 
um, you know, all spiritual traditions teach that, right? That like these are humble everyday acts. I mean, if we were doing like ritual and ceremony, I mean, our whole life is a ceremony, you know, and I feel like I've really learned that from indigenous people. Um, but like our, our whole life is a ceremony and a ritual. And, but like, if we were in these like heightened ceremonial states all the time, it's, it's like, well, we're humans. We've got bodies and bones and like gravity's keeping us down and like loving us in this like embrace to bring us to earth. <laughs> like, like earth is here. Like this is part of our learning in the body. So doing those everyday things, it's like, that's, we got to learn to be in a body this time around. Exactly. <laughs> And it's possible to weave it in. Like I'm thinking of how when my family has dinner, we light candles and we make a spirit plate, put it near the candles. And in that way, we're inviting in the unseen ancestors, things like that. But we're also literally feeding our physical bodies too, because we need to do that. Uh-huh. You're like, kids, just um, breathe in and take some breaths <laughs> and breathe in spirit. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. And that's like how we co connect with these like joys and this delight of being in human bodies too, as eating and sweeping. And I mean, I, I think about it sometimes it's like, chores are, you know, we're like, we call them chores, but if you choose to not think of it as a chore, then there's some delight to be found in it. And like, fair enough. If you don't like cleaning the toilet, you don't like cleaning the toilet. But, um, you know, I find the more that I bring, um, presence to my life. And I really think presence, that's what God is. As humans conceived of God, they were like, oh, I'm so present to this experience of being a human and being alive. And they, maybe they wanted some way to communicate with each other about it. So they're like, oh, when you're present, like that's God, you know? Um, so it doesn't really matter what you're doing in a lot of ways, if you're being present, like, and that being said, like, that's like a hugely, like, uh, that's not, that, that doesn't mean if you're in demeaning conditions and like you're, you know, which many people are and our society like sets it up. So people can't, just have these really basic, really, really basic things. And of course it's gotten really worse since Clinton, but, um, it's, um, with like the wealth gap is kind of what I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. So I guess that presence to be present is also to be aware of multiple people and beings 
realities and, uh, and then to weave our work, our, our daily lives up in with everyone else's and, um, to work for that, uh, liberation of everyone. Yeah. That when you sweep the floor, if you're praying for all beings or for some specific person who's needs healing or, um, for like the Wisutsun right now in Canada who are, um, doing so much work for all of us to um, preserve our water and land or, or their water and land, which is, serves all of us, um, that praying for these like visions of liberation and healing while we're doing those tasks, like totally makes them really meaningful and healing movements. I love that. I love the weaving of what people might consider self-care, which of course is another buzzword, but something where we're taking the time to nourish our own being and our own home, but we're weaving in and extending it out to the liberation of our communities and the larger world as a whole. Yeah. And, and, you know, with like when I make my calls in the morning to my senators and, you know, I, the, the mayor and I, I always think about it as a prayer to just, you know, that our actions are our prayers too. Yeah. And that's another way to, yeah, deepen a practice of something that can seem rarefied like spirituality. It's like, well, what are we actually doing? We're not just talking about something. We're not just thinking about it. We're directing our very energies to making that world happen. It's for everyone. It's not a, it's not something out there. It's not, it's not a big deal in this way. Like it's really like, it's really simple. I mean, I think when you like, I think it's, if you grow up with prayer, maybe it's easier. I mean, part of whiteness is the erasure of, um, spiritual practices and that are really like earth honoring and loving, you know, that's in all, every human's lineage. There's not a people on earth that don't have that. And, um, and you know, that, yeah, I just, it, it's easier for some people than others, but it, it, you know, it does, it is hard. I mean, you probably, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when I've had jobs that aren't like, you know, I've been always done this work. And when I've had jobs that are like, you know, working at a grocery store or, um, at the mall or something like that, it's like harder to, it has been harder to connect in with spirit <laughs> in those, in those spaces. And, um, because there's a lot of the like consumer culture, like doing things that are separating you from the earth. Absolutely. I've certainly had those jobs and just come home and sat in front of the TV and ate ice cream. Cause I just didn't have anything left. <laughs> 
even when I was a public school teacher and like working with kids, I just, I got really into Friday night lights. (laughs) (laughs) Great show, by the way. (laughs) I I think that's like part of what TV is for. You know, it's all part of the machine. Yeah. It's all like, it's like, well, if you're working a job that you don't love, or I mean, sometimes you do love your job. You still want to watch TV and be entertained and hear stories and, you know, but, um, but I mean, that was my experience. It's like, I'm just like, want to zone out and, um, yeah, not, or like eat my breakfast in my car on my way to work rather than sit and like say a prayer over my meal. Also just have so much like love and compassion and like people give themselves a hard time about that kind of stuff when they're participating in it. And it's just like, it's okay. <laughs> like you're good. You're like, everybody's good. Like we, we, that's the thing about capitalism. We don't have a lot of choices. Um, yeah, it's the illusion of choice, but you don't actually have that many choices. And so, um, it's so exciting in a lot of ways to feel, I feel like things are beginning to turn and change. Um, and I mean, even the fact that you have this podcast and we're talking about this together, (laughs) right? Do you know what I mean? Totally. Well, it goes back to the the unseen and the seen realms weaving. For me in media, I wasn't seeing the conversations that I wanted to hear and I wasn't seeing people being celebrated who I thought needed to be, you know, kind of like, wow, look at this amazing person and what they're doing. Because, you know, for me, Moonwise is really about where are the aunties, the grandmas, the sisters who you would normally be in community with and really learn from people who've had life experience and have expertise and have connection to nature and the spirits or whatever else, art, creativity. Um, and you know, part of what we're talking about with capitalism is that, that sense of isolation and the disconnection of our community web. And so with the podcast, I really just was like a little light in the dark, like, Hey, I'm thinking about these things like who else is out there and it's beautiful because it has been weaving a community virtually and sometimes I get to meet listeners in person or I get to meet people like you in person it's just like oh right wow we're not alone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that's one of the huge gifts of the interwebs I think yeah that we're not alone I, I would love to continue with this thought of liberation as well because that's something that comes up a lot in your work and I know you have a new course coming out called your most treasured commitment which is about loving yourself as an act of liberation this is so captivating to me in a culture where we're constantly on an external search for happiness and validation and you say, when you commit to yourself, you understand that your capability to feel loved is immeasurable. So I'm wondering, you know, tell us about how you came to understand that. Yeah, thank you. Loving myself today is relatively easy. I, comparably <laughs> to what it was, and part of that has to do with 
a daily commitment to love and, um, to love as an act. Cornell West talks about that, that, um, justice is what love looks like in public. And, um, we got, uh, a lot of the way that I've come to love myself is understanding where I've been, what, who's come before me, my people, my ancestors, and where I've been over the course of my life and where I am now. And even five minutes ago to right now, even, you know, to five years ago to right now is standing in my power today is about feeling connected to something greater and to this dug fur in my hand. Um, and, um, I, I created the course because I see, well, I just want to share what I've learned and I, um, it actually came out of, I wrote another course, which I'm still working on, which is like much more extensive about how to officiate a wedding. Cause I've spent a lot of this work on my business for myself, officiating weddings. And, and I thought, well, if you're going to get married or committed, it's really best if you get committed to yourself first, <laughs> you know, that's, that's like best case scenario, how relationships work well is you love yourself and you're not depending on the other person to, it's not like, um, your rocks fit my holes kind of thing. It's like, we both got the rocks in the holes and like, let's hang out and juggle together <laughs> and like have a good time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that, that taking that time to understand and get to know yourself and, um, make that commitment to love yourself first, because you're the person you hang out with the most out of anybody else in life, <laughs> like very literally. Uh, and a, a friend of mine, um, uh, was did an astrology reading for me one time and talked about how, like, how can you ever know another person? You can hardly know yourself in this life. So getting to know yourself seems like a pretty good first person to get to know, you know? Um, and I think that a lot of capitalism is about um, allowing someone else to tell you who you are or allow something else to tell you who you are. So who are you? Just you. And it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to know. Um, and it's a process to get to know yourself. So the course is in, in part, uh, a process leading people through a process of getting to know themselves in a deeper way. 
and understanding what they've been through and what they love and what gives them joy and pleasure and um, how they love. How do you love? How do you love others? Because that is an expression of how you love yourself and your identity. It makes me think of something that came to me one day when I was flying in the air on an airplane, and I thought to myself, "Well, the clouds don't care about my passport, and the flowers don't care about what my higher education degree is, and you know, the trees probably don't care what's in my bank account. So, who actually am I to those beings?" And it set me on a whole inquiry that was very different from how I had been defined in society and also how I had defined myself. And it also makes me think that in our culture, we don't have initiation ceremonies for young people. Uh, Many of us, um, some cultures still have those lineages intact where they do do initiations. But for most Americans, we've kind of lost that thread. And so something like a commitment ceremony to ourselves seems really relevant. Yeah. I lo- thank you for bringing that up because I, I really feel like, uh, that at stage in adolescence where you're moving from kid to teenager and then again from teenager to adult, um, yeah, that, I think that is part of the deep wounding, um, because went from kid to teenager, you're really doing this developmental work of understanding who you are outside of your parents um, and family um, and uh, or your parent and family or whoever your caretakers are, grandparents and um, and or in some cases, you know, your community or not having what you need to be in your being raised. And, um, so yeah, that this, this is healing. This course is healing work around our teenage selves inside of us. Um, I, I think for, especially for a lot of queers, um, not, as much these days, depending on where you live. And uh, of course, but, um, you know, for those of us who didn't even know, I mean, I'm sure I knew lots of queer people, but none of them were out. Um, and then to be a teenager and not understand and, um, that we end up like reliving our teenage years as adults. Um, and in a lot of ways it, it can be, really healing, but, and beautiful and queer culture is that, but it can also be really destructive. And that's for anyone who's queer or not, that if you didn't get a chance to really explore who you are as a teenager, because I mean, basically as a teenager, you're like trying on different identities, which is like super healthy. And, um, if you haven't done that as a teenager, you probably need to do it as an adult you probably need to figure out, like try different things out and, um, explore and, uh, yeah, do stuff that do and think things that you didn't grow up doing so that you're like literally so that neurologically your brain can expand and grow. Um, 
And when our brain is expanding and growing, our capacity for presence is bigger and our, um, when you expose yourself to different thinking and ways of being, you your ability to be compassionate and have empathy grows. Um, and all of that stuff is about loving yourself. All of that. I mean, self-care could be, you know, a lot of people talk about self-care, like take a bath or um, sit down with a cup of tea. Really important stuff. And self-care is like putting yourself in uncomfortable p- positions too. Thinking things or trying things. I mean, I used to teach sixth grade and I used to, people would be like, oh God, you teach sixth grade. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're, yeah, they're thinking things and feeling things physiologically that they've never felt or thought before. And mostly people are not talking to them about it. And so it's like, well, what do you expect? All these people, all these like sixth graders, you know, they have such a bad reputation of acting out and being weirdos and stuff. I'm like, what do you expect? Like you give them no space to explore. Like, yeah, they're going to, and like they need to be doing that. Like they shouldn't even be in school. They should just be like hanging out and socializing as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Um, so if you haven't done that as a kid or you were very like restricted, like part of falling in love with yourself is trying out new stuff and getting to know who you are and, um, and making a commitment to that is what, Um, I think that's, what's really transformed my life in a lot of ways is it's not a one-time event. It's like when I married myself, it was like over 10 years ago. And, um, I, you know, it's really just in the last few years that I've been able to follow through on a lot of those commitments that I've made to myself. It's, been, you know, almost a decade of like practicing and trying things out. Um, but a ritual for oneself, a ritual in general, I talk about this a lot, creates an archetype in time and it's, it helps your psyche to understand a transformation that you're going through. And so this course kind of walks you through, it doesn't kind of, it does walk you through making a commitment ceremony to yourself too, which could be really simple, you know, or it could be really complicated. You, you can choose, I give lots of suggestions. Um, but, but that moment you'll remember in your psyche and you'll be able to kind of then trace that back and reread your commitments or vows or, you know, and, um, make changes. And I also lead people through that, like the follow-up work as well. Um, to, to, it's like learning yourself to love yourself as a process. Healing is a process. If, if you're hurt and wounded and traumatized, you're, it's not going to happen in one day. And, um, and giving yourself the opportunity to step into, love for yourself, uh, is a, 
a beginning on your journey to healing. I'm really curious about the follow-up work you're speaking of, because I know, at least for me, sometimes I'll make a promise to myself, like, okay, you're not going to eat sugar, and then I'll slip up, and then I'll just start beating myself up and be like, oh, no, you did it again. Um, and so I'm just really curious about that, that like practice and yeah, like how to be gentle with yourself and, and also stick to commitments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, so I, I wrote this zine with um, my friend Elsa Asher called Moon Tools, and it's leading people through the creative process. But what it introduces to people is this idea of um, that our birth story mimics throughout the rest of our life. And for me, that has a lot to do with commitment. And it, I think even maybe sometimes hearing about this can be hard. So I just want to preface it that way. It can bring up grief. And so be sweet with yourself as you listen to this. Um, but any of us born in the last 40 plus years or 35 or 30 plus years at least, and many younger people also, were born in hospitals and that the protocol in a hospital is, a, you know, as probably many, you and many of people who are listening to this know, is, um, you know, a lot of C-sections happen, a, a lot of, um, uh, I mean, when I was born, the protocol was like, you're born, they cut the umbilical cord pretty much as soon as you come out and take the baby away from the birth parent and, and then give them like drugs and stuff, you know? And so that time right after a baby is born is called the golden hour. And it's one of the most important developmental moments. So for those of us that didn't necessarily have that golden hour, that is a patterning that happens with a baby about follow through. And so when you see a culture of people who haven't had that follow through initially, it's hard to commit. It's hard to follow through on um, a commitment to oneself. And I mean, you see it with like cell phones, great idea. We're all connected, you know, but then where are you getting the materials from? That's hurting the earth. Like what about people just spending their whole time on their phone instead of like interacting with each other? like that kind of thing. So that's, that's a big healing we need to do together is learning how to commit and follow through. And it's absolutely something I have struggled with a lot at creating that structure. And I know that it's ultimately like my biggest work in the world. So, um, that's why I included that part is because that's almost more important than the ceremony and the actual work. I mean, anything you do is going to be great, really. You know, even if you just, you know, buy this course and read it, you know, you're, that's loving to yourself. Um, but making, making these commitments um, and following through on them is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really am captivated by what you're saying about 
the way people are born and how that may set a pattern that we do need to heal later in life. Well, and we heal it. We heal it by committing, by following through. Every time we do follow through on something, we teach ourselves to follow through, right? So even if you just, even if you, that's why I always tell people like who are trying to like do some self-care thing. I'm like, just do it for one minute. Like that, that's significant actually doing it for one minute or five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever's going to be something accessible to you. Like that's, that's a beginning and a really significant beginning. I love that. That's great advice. I want to make sure to touch on something you also address, which is that our culture can make self-love easier for some people over others. I think that like, especially like this white AFAB, like assigned female at birth kind of self-care culture that's become and like witchy kind of stuff that's become really popular the last few years um, can get in this like, well, do your self-care, light your candle, do your tarot spread, you know, you know, whatever it might be like that. Those are the only self-care things and like a self-care thing might be like applying for a job, like, or a self-care thing might be going to work, (laughs) you know, for someone. (laughs) And like, um, a self-care thing might be like ending a relationship. Um, that it might be speaking out about oppression. You know, it might be structuring your life. So you make those calls to your representatives in the morning, you know, that is self care, those things, because caring for the collective and taking risks to live your life in ways that are authentic to yourself that's the biggest self-care. It is so important to love yourself and get to know yourself because that is, that's the most important relationship. You are spirit. You are the divine. You are the earth and loving yourself and being yourself and offering your gifts of service of being yourself in the offering your gifts of being yourself in the world is the biggest service that you can give. And so the ways this commitment to self love is you're stepping into being your big powerful self, which is the only way to, well, that sounds so extreme, (laughs) but being your big, powerful self, it's like everything, but nothing like you. I mean, even like if you're the president in 10,000 years, no one's going to remember you, you know, like, and 10,000 years for the earth, for the solar system, for the universe is nothing. And so might as well like be you. 
Right. So, because it's not worth sacrificing your authenticity and your joy and your presence for some external source that is not going to remember in 10,000 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they make money off of us forgetting who we really are. You know, that's the whole point of capitalism. And the healing is for us all to remember who we really are and just enjoy being as much as possible because a lot of hard shit happens in life. So like in the moments when the hard shit's not happening, you're even in those moments. Like if you can find some glimmer or understanding about a connection to something greater or find some moment of joy, like feel it. Even if it's watching Friday night lights, (laughs) I'm really dating myself with that. I'm like, yes, I'm a middle-aged non-binary person. (laughs) Speaking of, as you say, middle age, I'm always intrigued by how folks are experiencing the phase that comes after what we typically call like the maiden stage of life. I in particular am really enjoying um, like deepening getting to know myself and and kind of like stepping into more personal power um, now that I'm a mother and, you know, have other perspectives on life, I guess. And I'm just curious about how that's going for you. <laughs> yeah, I love getting older. I'm a Capricorn. I'm like living to be 60. Same. I like cannot wait to be a grandma. I know. I like all growing up, I could, I always just pictured myself as an adult, as a grandparent. And I never, never crossed my mind middle age, like ever. (laughs) It was like between like 25 and 60 was just like blank and everything else. I was like, can't wait to have grandkids. And like, you know, um, but now here I am middle aged and, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's, it's nice. We were talking about before we started the recording about this maiden mother crone archetypes and, um, which I think are really relevant. I mean, I think the mother word or, and the maiden word in particular are feel really gendered to me. And so they're, can either reclaim them or say parent or, um, you know, young person instead. But I think that this middle age and to crone really, um, we get to just start to embody so many different parts of ourselves. And there are other archetypes that we can use to begin to describe ourselves. Um, part of the Cohenet program that I was ordained through we work with 13 archetypes and they're called neti vote that like paths of the priestess or priest. Um, and so there are things like the lover, the fool, um, the ba'olat av, which is kind of a, a, a Hebrew word for shaman. Um, the wise, wise person, the morning person, and they often use say morning woman or wise woman, but I, I personally like to have it, the gender feel more expansive than that. Um, priestess, seeker, um, midwife, weaver. I mean, and there, th- these are all archetypes to kind of, I think, describe who, I mean, we all are all of them, 
in different ways. Like when people talk about astrology, they're like, everybody's got every sign in their chart somewhere, you know? Um, and same with these archetypes is like, we all have all of them. And at sometimes in our life, we're more of the lover. Sometimes our, our life, we're more of the ba'olat of, you know, and then there are some of those archetypes that we really embody and share with the world more fully, you know, um, think about people whose work in the world is to grieve, you know, um, and, and that is a Jewish tradition to that, like a mourning, you know, someone who will mourn and cry for people, um, when they had loss and lots of, lots of traditions have that role. Um, and to really be able to embody that. And then, you know, the, the fool, like the, I mean, I think that comedians are like the most spiritual giving us the biggest spiritual gift we need. (laughs) Um, like just like to be funny and make people laugh is like such potent medicine. Um, so it's great to get older and explore all of those parts. Yeah. I think it's a joy. Yeah. I love that there's, that there's a whole range there's, there's 13 so that, yeah, different aspects of our being can be embodied and give ourselves permission to really be those parts of ourselves. Is there anything else that you'd like to say as we wrap up about your work or what's really what you're passionate about at the moment? I am just really lovely to talk with you and I really appreciate it. Appreciate your work that you're doing in the world and uh, bringing these conversations and sharing of yourself and giving other people the opportunity to share and their work more widely. It's, it's a huge gift. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been an honor to chat. I'm really looking forward to learning more about the course. And I know that you have a generous offer for our listeners who would like to participate in the course with a discount. Yeah. 25% off. And the passcode to get that discount is love you all capital letters. Love you. And can you tell us what the URL for your website is and where people can find you on social media as well? My website is RebeccaArabStudio.com and my Instagram is RebeccaArabStudio. I also have another side project called Queer Mikvah Project, which we have, didn't talk about, but um, you can follow some of my work there. And um, look at the spelling. <laughs> Um, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Erev, E-R-E-V, studio.com. Thank you so much. And thank you again for being on the podcast. And yeah, just so grateful to have talked today. Me too. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the show. You can hear other episodes on Moontent.co or subscribe to the Moonwise podcast on iTunes or Spotify podcasts. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. You can also leave a comment on the Moonwise Sisterhood group on Facebook. Our theme music is by Sophie Cooper from her album, Rewilding. She's sharing brand new offerings over at voicealchemy.com, so go check out her work there. See you next time.